Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Retiring. Nothing personal. Word of the day for Monday, January 31st, 2022 is retiring. Tom Brady has retired. Sent out a message on his own website, TB12, announcing his retirement just in a tweet that said nothing, said thank you, way to go. ESPN broke the news that was broken by CBS Sports HQ earlier. Tom Brady ends with a career seven rings, the GOAT, the number one quarterback of all time, the number one player of all time. Everybody went breaking news, whether you're CBS or CNN. It didn't matter if you're a news organization or a sports organization. This is epic. This is Michael Jordan retiring the first time and the second time. This is Tiger Woods getting into an accident or winning a Masters. This is news that transcends sports. You know that you've made it when people care about you or have heard about you who really don't care about sports. Believe it or not, there are people in the world that don't know that the Bengals and the Rams are in the Super Bowl. We'll talk about that later. But just to put it in perspective, Tom Brady chose to retire the day, basically, before the championship games, wanted to get it out of the way before the Super Bowl started, before the hype to the Super Bowl, wanted to give Tampa plenty of time to get ready to live without Tom Brady, wanted to let Gronk go on vacation, start eating ho-hos. I get it all. Great plan, great career. I don't think anyone's ever going to catch Tom. So I just wanted to send out my congratulations to Tom Brady on retirement. The nothing personal word of the day. And that's how I plan to start the show, because that would make sense. An ode to Sir Thomas Aquinas. And then all of a sudden, there was a little bit of question. Did he retire? Did he not retire? He definitely retired. You got Schefter making 94 Rogan dollars a year. He got it. And it was broken by two people after our guy broke it. But we didn't hear anything from Tom. We didn't see anything from Tom. And then Tom Brady's agent after everybody is at DEFCON a thousand. We got to get guests. We got to be live in two minutes. Let's be first. We got to talk about his career. Let's break. Get out the highlight package. Show it. Let's show all seven rings. And then his agent comes out and says, well, wait a minute. That's not the case. When Tom has something to say, he'll say it. And then do you know what was going on in the newsrooms? Absolute panic despondency. And I ask every editor, every reporter, every producer out there, 
Did you think for one minute that Tom Brady was going to retire with a leak to Adam Schefter? No chance. Toilet pants. Tom Brady's going to retire with a letter that will be crafted by PR people, will be approved by Giselle, and will talk about and thank the various people in his career. He'll appreciate the Patriots, the Buccaneers. He'll talk about what he'll miss, the importance of being with family and how life is short and passing quickly. And he wants the right to drive his kids to school and eat a quarter pounder with cheese. Tom Brady's retirement will be broken in full by Tom Brady's website with a letter penned, not by Tom Brady, but signed by Tom Brady at the exact time he wants to do it. Tom Brady saw what was going on and immediately got his agent to make that statement. Here's what I think happened, and I'm pretty sure I'm right. Although we'll never know, will we? When you're writing a retirement speech or letter or getting ready for release on your own website, whether it's the Players Tribune or whether it is TB12, whatever the case may be, whatever your platform is, you bring people into the loop to wordsmith what you're going to do to talk about the timing you convene your team and while you think that your team is tight and that there will never be a leak the news of tom brady retiring is way too big when you give that to a reporter you've got that reporter in perpetuity you will get information from that reporter forevermore you will get Named, if there's lists of possible candidates, that's why people leak in baseball, right? They want to be named as a possible candidate for GM or manager or whatnot, so you give them information. You will get the benefit of so many things. That's how sources get cultivated. And when you've got the mothership of all stories and you give that, you're a winner. Even if it's wrong, Let me take that back. Let me think through this. We're live. By the way, if you're watching this on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, I'm wearing the Nothing Personal with David Sampson sweatshirt. Coke is upset because normally I'm in a blazer and a shirt, but I was so exhausted from the weekend that I really could not even get a blazer and shirt on. So I put on the sweatshirt. I didn't even comb my hair, but the best thing about having short hair is I don't think you can tell although I am on high def cameras, so maybe you can. Coca, can you see? Tommy, can you see me? Ooh, Tommy. Okay, let me get back. So someone is working on the retirement speech. Someone calls ESPN or CBS, whoever it is, and says, hey, Tom's about to announce his retirement. Tom then changes course and says, nothing. The agent says, we're not ready right now. Then all of a sudden, his own website, TB12, deletes the tweet got fired, obviously, deleted the tweet, and now Tom starts again. Tom Brady is retiring. That sort of information does not get promulgated without checking and without coming from a source who knows. Is Tom Brady the type of person who would postpone his retirement because it wasn't done on his terms? No. 
He will swallow hard and realize that the news got out, but he will release it exactly the way he had planned to release it, which will be directly from him. How do you decide when you're going to retire? I had so many conversations with Ichiro about this. They always say, I mean, Ichiro doesn't have kids. He's got a dog. He's married, but no kids. He wanted to play till he was 50. Tom Brady was signed and had talked about wanting to play through age 45 and then take it from there, which is just unbelievable. The fact that he's still playing almost as unbelievable as Ichiro is still playing. But Tom Brady was better and more impactful in football than Ichiro was in baseball at the end, which doesn't make Ichiro not a first ballot Hall of Famer, just like Tom Brady. But anyway, so I had spoken to Ichiro about this a lot because I was fascinated by what I thought before I got into sports about what it was like for older players and superstars to retire. And obviously, before I got into sports, I never had a chance to talk to aging superstars and hear what they said and what was in their mind. And I spoke to Ichiro many times about how do you know, what will you do? What is your fear? And the fear is that of becoming irrelevant. The fear is that you're aging. The fear is that your body can no longer do what your mind thinks it can do. Your fear is that you will not be able, no matter whether you've got kids and a wife and a business, et cetera, how, what will you do to get that same feeling that you get every day at 7.05 or every Sunday at one or four or Monday at eight or Thursday at eight or Saturdays at the end of the season, Tuesdays when there's COVID? How do you replace that? There are some superstars that then decide they want to coach or they want to be executives or they want to be owners. And they're all searching for that feeling. And here's the worst part. You can search until the end of days. And you never get that feeling of putting on the uniform and that feeling of competition. Because I've also spoken with superstars once they're retired who have tried to fill that void, who have said to me, yeah, I wanted more time with the family. And then spring training started. And I said, ooh, I sort of miss road trips and camaraderie. I miss the competition. I miss the winning, the losing. I miss the battles. There'd be all sorts of war analogies, which I could do without, but that's what people do. So Tom Brady, when he's deciding... Is he deciding that he doesn't want to be as physically disciplined as he's been, as mentally disciplined as he's been? Does he decide that there's nothing more he can prove? One, yes. Two, yes. Three, no. The thing that makes superstars superstars is it's never enough. He's got seven rings. He wants eight. You've got 4,000 hits. You want 4,001. You've got one ring. You want two. That competitive nature is so significant in what it takes to be a superstar. It's part of the formula. It's not just being so great at what you do physically. The mental strength that these players have who have gone to a level that no one else has ever gone to. The mental game. We saw a little bit about Jordan right on the last dance. What he would do to keep himself mentally, not just strong, but motivated. I was fascinated by the Tom Brady story. 
fascinated by the leak that happened, not fascinated by the decision. The reason I wasn't fascinated by the decision is that when Tom Brady walked off the field losing in the playoff game, he had the look. I've seen that look before. It's the last look. It's the knowledge that you're not going to put the uniform on. Every player says, I'm going to wait till the end of the season. I love when they do that. They all say that. I'm going to spend time with my family. I'm going to make this. I'm going to have discussions. I'm going to see what Giselle wants. I'm going to see what my kids want. I'm going to see how my body feels. That is player horse hockey. Players go into the end of a season, their last game, aging superstars, and they know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to tell you publicly, oh, I took a vacation. Sean Payton did it this season. Oh, I took a two-week vacation, and that's when I decided to walk away from the New Orleans Saints. G-M-A-B. You may have taken that time because you wanted it to appear as though you were getting counsel from others. You were waiting for a sign from mana from heaven to something to come down and say, oh, I got to retire. When Tom Brady walked off that field, his decision was already made. Rest assured, Tom Brady is retiring. But it will be done in a completely different way than a tweet from an NFL source. Well, I watched Championship Sunday and it was a long day. I started my day watching Nadal win the Australian Open and that started 3.30 a.m. I ended the day with the Los Angeles Rams making it to the Super Bowl on a field goal and a last second interception. We've got a fascinating Super Bowl. The Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes are not in it. The highest paid player, remember him? The guy who signed that $300 million contract who needed to be Super Bowl MVP, who needed to win league MVP to hit all of his bonuses. The guy who we assumed would win multiple rings. Well, he's got one. He looked in the second half so bad. But what interested me about the Chiefs-Bengals game is two things. One, Online during the first half, when it was 21 to three at halftime, forgetting the fact that it should have been 24 to three, and the Chiefs just got cocky and ridiculous with clock management. But it doesn't matter if you didn't watch the game because many of you who listen to nothing personal don't really care much about the actual games. And I'm with you. All I know is that the consensus was the Bengals don't belong on the same field as the Chiefs. This is a blowout. Finally, after four good games last week, we've got an old fashioned blowout. Here's Patrick Mahomes. And then all of a sudden it's 21, 10. Then it was tied. And then the Bengals won. Joe Burrow, the number one pick in his second year is going to the Super Bowl. The Cincinnati Bengals who were two and 14 as recently as when Coca it's Monday. Is it two years ago or three years ago? I can't remember because they were two and 14. And I think the, the Niners and the Rams were two and 14. I just don't remember when, but it's all very recent. And all I kept thinking about 2019, that's insane. All I kept thinking about is all the years when we lost games with the Marlins, whether it was 90 games or 95 games. 
How quickly could we make the playoffs? What needs to happen? And we would keep a list of things. Well, this player's got to hit 20 points higher, and he's we've got to get 40 more home runs from the corner out corner outfield positions. And we're going to need 60 more innings from our pitchers. And we're going to need three more starting pitchers. Like we came up with all these things. And then when war happened, we said, oh, we need seven more wins. This guy's 2.1 more wins. We can make this trade, blah, blah, blah. All these analytics guys say they do it all by computer. But believe me, GMs are counting what they think wins will be. They're looking at the division, keeping track, et cetera. The dream is to do what the Astros did without the garbage cans, what the Cubs did try to have a dynasty, but win one World Series. In football, you want to be able to turn it around. And it's easier in football because when you've got a high draft pick, that draft pick helps you immediately. When you're the number one pick, it's why tanking in baseball and this whole lockout is a nightmare because owners understand that tanking is not the end-all be-all because you've got three to five years until that number one pick can be helpful. Maybe two in a dream world, but unlikely. And then you've got to get through another bunch of years before that young player hits his prime since it's very rare to have a Juan Soto or a Tatis or a young, young player who is performing at the level they're performing at. But in football, when you've got the number one pick and you've got an altering pick, a franchise altering quarterback, when you tank for Tua, you expect that you've got a chance to compete for a Super Bowl. So then the question is, you better tank for the right guy. So the Cincinnati Bengals take Joe Burrow, and he is a quarterback that he played fine, but they built a team around him, and they got a win, and they're going to the Super Bowl. All I know is that Andy Reid walked off the field, Patrick Mahomes walked off the field, and Patrick Mahomes did something that I loved. He sent a tweet saying, we'll be back. Congratulations to the Bengals. We're still great, but we didn't play great, and they deserved it. And he took it like a man, took it on the chin. But the level of despondency, if you are the Chiefs, is significant because every year that Mahomes gets older and he's young, every time he scrambles, which he does, and he's so cocky that it gets him into trouble sometimes. But either way, the Chiefs are out, the Bengals are in, and NBC is less than happy. Now, I will grant you that the ratings for the Super Bowl and the number of viewers and the fact that the advertising is already sold out at a rate that would make you blush. So the NFL is fine with the Bengals in there. NBC is fine with the Bengals in there. But don't get me wrong, they'd prefer the Chiefs. So then we get to the second game. The second game has Matthew Stafford, who's a quarterback who played for the Lions for a bunch of years got traded to the Rams. The Rams play in LA. We talked to you last week about the fact that the Niners were playing the Rams and they're playing in North in Southern California, but Northern California was descending upon them. And did you watch that game Coco? Because I was blown away. If you close your eyes, there was no way to know who the home team was. The Niners fans were loud. The Rams fans were loud. The stadium is incredible. And the Rams had to make the biggest comeback in NFC championship history. No team had ever come back from down 10 in the fourth quarter to win an NFC championship since 1970, I think. I'm sort of, am I getting that stat wrong? It was a graphic. Do you know how we do it? Detour. So in a newsroom, 
like just take CBS Sports HQ or take ESPN, take any newsroom. You've got people who are working on graphics. And what graphics are, are when announcers are talking or sideline reporters are talking or pregame hosts are talking, and then you don't see their face. You see on the screen something that's a stat or a fact. Or when you do see their face, there's something called a bottom graphic, or it's like on the crawl. It's like a crawl where you have a little stat that says for the no team since 19 blank has done blank. Only two teams have come back with blank. And during the course of a game, you've got all sorts of producers and graphics people and fact checkers, and they're all coming up with all these interesting stats that are monitoring Twitter to see if someone else comes up with it first, by the way. But they're mon- but they're thinking about different things. All right, it's 17-7. This would then be the largest fourth quarter deficit to ever be overcome in conference championship history. So we got to put that on the screen. So they put it on the screen to start the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden, the Rams cut it to seven. Then they tie it. Then they score a field goal to take the lead. Then they intercept Jimmy G in order to win the game. Yes, for those of you who listen to nothing personal, I completely did not want to butcher his name, but here I go. Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. But that wasn't the highlight of the game for me. The highlight of the game is the NFL has something called the red flag challenge. That is when you throw a flag on the field that's red, not yellow, because yellows mean penalty. Red means challenge. It's like what they do in baseball when the managers, this is what we came up with in the middle of a, uh, in the middle of a baseball meeting. This is how I was there when instant replay started. And I was there when the manager's challenge started. And this is the best we could come up with. Have the manager put his hands on his ears like earmuffs in old school. Because we thought of why not give him a flag to throw. And we were like, the managers are going to lose it. They're not going to. And where are they going to throw it? Like out of the dugout? How are the umpires going to see it? So the managers have to yell with their whistle to be a manager or a coach. You have to have this amazing ability to whistle. I was thinking about Phil Jackson's whistle when he coached the Bulls and the Lakers. It's unreal. Pat Riley had a whistle like that where he could get anyone's attention during any game, no matter the crowd noise with that amazing whistle. But on a baseball field, managers generally are not good whistlers. So they do the hands over the head, over the ears in a gesture like, like, hey, go, go to New York. But in football, they're smart and they did it with a red flag. And of course, they're able to do that because there are officials who are on the sideline. So the, the coach can go to the official on the sideline and say, here's my red flag. I'm about to throw it. In baseball, there's no umpires outside the lines. Wrong. There is one umpire outside the lines. As a matter of fact, they some of them stand outside the lines from time to time, but the home plate is officially outside the line. But in any case, you, the umpires are not near the dugouts. So Sean McVay throws his red flag twice. And the rule is. In baseball, when you lose a challenge, you lose a timeout. <laughs> no, you don't. There are no timeouts in baseball. What happens when you challenge a play and you get it wrong? You lose a challenge. If you challenge a play and you get it right, you get another challenge. In football, 
there is a significant penalty for wasting our time by throwing the red flag. We save time because you see the red flag faster, but if you're wrong, you lose a timeout. In football, you get three timeouts. There is no greater asset in a game than timeouts in a football game. I agree in basketball, timeouts matter because at the end, you want to be able to advance the ball to half court. But guess what? Timeouts in football are worth 40 seconds of clock. So when you are trying to come back or you're tied or down and you've got a two minute drive, no time is out. Guess what? You're in trouble. You got to use the sidelines. You got to step out of bounds. If you have timeouts like Kansas City did last week, you're able to use the middle of the field, call timeout and win the game. At the end of the first half, the Chiefs could have scored if they had timeouts left, but they didn't. So Sean McVay made two challenges. He lost both. They were so wrong that if I'm the owner of the Rams or the GM, I'm wondering, what, what, what are we doing here? Calling timeouts to save five yards on a delay of game? Calling timeouts to challenge plays that you have no chance of winning i found it to be an absolute mistake and it didn't cost the rams and normally it does so now we wait two weeks you're going to read more stories about aaron donald matthew stafford sean mcveigh joe burrow icky woods ken anderson All right, when we come back, someone asked me to do a top five Blizzard movies because we had a Blizzard here that was staggered. I want to tell you how we got out of it. We'll do a top five, and then I got to go through something that's going on in Miami because you're going to like it. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for rating and reviewing and following on all podcast platforms. As far as I'm concerned, we will not ever be taken off Spotify because we're not spreading disinformation, Coca. Okay. Someone got to me on Twitter at David P. Sampson, and I appreciated that. And asked me for the top five blizzard movies. This weekend, we had a blizzard where I am. There was about 25 inches of snow with drifts up to four feet. I tried to get it in a video, but it was impossible. But there were no doors that I could open because there was so much snow piled up that if you open the door, like the snow would just fall on top of you. And all of a sudden inside your place would be 
three feet of snow. So someone came and took care of it with a snowblower and shovels. And I appreciated that. But the snow was, I've never seen a snowstorm like that. I only wish that I were able to ski, which I am. I wish I were near a ski resort uh, because it was amazing snow. So someone came to me on Twitter and said, what are your top five Blizzard movies? I watched a movie every day. I still watch a movie every day. I'm rewatching a TV series now, re-binging. And once I'm done with it, which should be by tomorrow or the next day, I want to talk about the concept of re-watching a series you've already watched. That is a fascinating thing in my head right now. But anyway, top five Blizzard movies. Thanks for the question at David P. Sampson on Twitter. Number five, The Ice Storm. If you haven't seen it, it's a tough one. It's not a comedy. It is a, uh, it's called The Ice Storm. I had to put it in the list because it is so critical to the movie, the sort of weather. It is a tough movie to watch, but the lit list gets better. Not that that's a bad choice because it's a great movie. Number four, Dennis Quaid, Jake Gyllenhaal, Emma, ugh, Emma somebody, Coca, Emma Rossum. I can't remember. Emmy, doesn't matter. It's called The Day After Tomorrow. Day After Tomorrow is a movie about basically the world freezing over. It's the anti-climate change movie, although it's not global warming. It is climate change. And if you go outside and you're not covered, all of a sudden you freeze up like Schwarzenegger and Total Recall on Mars. It's a whole thing. It was like a bomb cyclone times three. And we had a bomb cyclone here in the Northeast. But either way, Day After Tomorrow, if you haven't seen it, check it out. And it may be old enough that some of you young listeners have not seen it, but it's really good. Number three, Blizzard movie. Didn't make my, maybe it did. I did a top five Comb Brothers recently. Was it on Nothing Personal, Coca? Or was it on Levitard? I cannot remember. But top five Blizzard movies, Fargo comes in at number three. Fargo takes place in Fargo. And the snow and the weather is a big part of that movie. Fargo number three. Number two, I know you're with me, Groundhog Day. The whole thing about Groundhog Day is that every day the blizzard happens and stops him from leaving, but then he wakes up and there's no snow on the ground. And when he goes to bed, it's a blizzard and then no snow. But every time he wakes up, it's Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. But the number one in my top five blizzard movies is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. That appears on many of my top five lists. If you are John Candy and Steve Martin and you don't know what that movie is, please watch it. Top five Blizzard movies. Thanks for asking. All right. Want to mention a quick thing about the Australian Open. So I want to give a shout out to Nadal, Rafi Nadal. He won his 21st Grand Slam yesterday morning. Well, yesterday night. No, tomorrow night in Australia. Nadal won his 21st Grand Slam, breaking a tie that he held with Federer and Djokovic. Federer, not going to give you a wait to see because we don't have all day, but Federer will not win another Grand Slam. Djokovic will win more Grand Slams if he ever gets vaccinated and is allowed to play again. Nadal has injuries. He had come back. He had surgery two months ago goes to a surface where it's not his best. He hadn't won Australia since 2009. He's won 13 French Opens, and that's the next tournament. 
He's the greatest clay player to ever play. That's a surface in tennis. And he is now the greatest tennis winner of all time. I don't say the greatest. Is he the GOAT? That's a discussion that needs to be had. In five hours and 24 minutes, he got it out a match against Danielle Medvedev. And it was must-see compelling TV. Now, people say tennis. Oh, that's just for people of privilege. Come on. Five hours and 24 minutes of unbelievable competition. Gladiator-like back and forth. Nadal was down 2 nothing in sets. It's best three out of five. He won the next three. Congratulations, Nadal. You are the GOAT. No, you're not. But congratulations. Nothing personal pick of the day. Did the Chiefs cover by seven and a half? Did the Rams cover by three and a half? Have you seen ever? And I didn't go back and look at this, Coca. I guess I could have. But I'm going to say that the four divisional playoff games and the two conference championships were the closest six games ever. Remember, the four divisional playoffs had the smallest margin of victory for any four divisional playoff games of 15 when the record was 18. All four games were decided by a total of 15 points. The divisional games, the Chiefs, I'm blanking on what the final score was, I believe. Oh, it was overtime. Since he won by three in overtime when the Chiefs won the toss, I thought the Chiefs were going to walk him off. And the Rams won by three. Total of six points. That means 21 points. We're doing this on the fly, Coca. This wasn't in the pregame. I didn't tell you this was in my head. I don't know why it's in my head. The total margin of victory for the last six games in the NFL playoffs has been 21 points. That is unheard of. The level of playoff games, the competition, the closeness, the insane tension of these playoff games. Now, it may mean the Super Bowl will end up 51 to 12. But if the Super Bowl is also a competitive game, Roger Goodell is going to light a cigar. He's going to go to a beach. He's going to lie in a lounge chair with his feetsies in the sand. And he's going to pound his chest saying, I am the greatest. Not you, Ali. It's me. So we lost two out of three. We did win the Bucks over the Knicks. We had the Bucks minus nine on Friday. The Bucks crushed the Knicks. We're 26 picks into 2022, and we are right back where we started from. We are 13 and 13. But the NBA is playing today. There's no football. I think the Rams are probably going to be a field goal favorite, I would guess, over the Bengals. I don't know if that line has come out yet, but I think it's a rounded field goal. I don't think it gets to three and a half the way the Rams were. Hey, Coco, what is the opening line of the Super Bowl? I'm guessing somewhere between two and three, if I had a guess. But we're going to have to be satisfied with NBA games going on tonight. And there's one game of note that I want to point out to you. Oh, it's the Rams minus four. All right. That is, that's, did it, what was, did it open at that? Or are people already betting on it? Do you know? Because Rams minus four is quite significant. That's a little surprise. So it opened at minus four. Wow. I'm not telling you which way we're going because we're not picking it yet. But that seems a little heavy given how close games have been. But God, the Rams look good. But we got an NBA tonight. Joel Embiid is now one of the favorites for MVP. He's playing against the Grizzlies, who you know have been one of my favorite teams to watch. 
you know, the Sixers are doing this because Embiid is so good. They've got an overpaid player named Tobias Harris. They don't have a big three because Ben Simmons, who really shouldn't be part of a big three because he's not good enough to be part of a big three. He is not playing. So the Grizzlies, in theory, should have a chance in Philadelphia. But there's something about the Sixers with Embiid that they just win. And they're only giving a field goal. We're taking Sixers minus three over the Grizzlies. All right. The next thing we're going to talk about is the Miami Dolphins and Jim Harbaugh. Did you hear the news? I can't remember when we did a Coca, but very recently we had a segment about Jim Harbaugh and the fact that Steve Ross, who is the owner of the Dolphins and the biggest booster ever at the University of Michigan, where Jim Harbaugh is the coach. And he likes Michigan better than the Dolphins, I promise you. And that's not an insult, right? You just love your college. There's something about your college. His connection to Michigan is greater than his connection to the Dolphins. You're going to think I'm crazy, but I'm right. So he said, I am not going to do anything that will cause Jim Harbaugh to leave Michigan. And I told you that that's horse hockey. Stephen Ross has an agreement with Jim Harbaugh to be the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. It's already been negotiated. And there was a process that needed to happen. And I told you what the process was going to be. And it has officially started. Coincidentally, four out of the nine head coaching vacancies have been filled. The Dolphins still have a vacancy. Coincidentally, the Minnesota Vikings were rumored yesterday to have interest in Jim Harbaugh, and Jim Harbaugh has interest in the Minnesota Vikings. I guess he must like the Midwest. That must be the reason. If you think Jim Harbaugh is leaving Michigan to coach the Minnesota Vikings, I've got another thing for you. It's called a bridge. It's called a bridge that's ready to collapse because the minute you buy it, it's going to be the money pit. This is going exactly according to how they planned it. Jim Harbaugh says, yeah, I'm leaving Michigan because I want to be in the NFL and I'm going to interview because I like my chances of being with Minnesota. Stephen Ross will swoop in, interview him, and he will be named the next coach. Don't forget that already the coordinators in Michigan are aware of the plan. Did you see that his brother hired his own defensive coordinator? Let me say it a better way. Jim Harbaugh's brother, John Harbaugh, is the coach of Coca's favorite team. Jim Harbaugh used to be the coach of the Niners who were in the Super Bowl against the Ravens, coached by his brother, John, which meant a Harbaugh was going to win no matter what. John Harbaugh of the Ravens then hired Jim Harbaugh's defensive coordinator who was with him at Michigan, who left Michigan to join the Ravens. Hmm. Why would a defensive coordinator for Michigan leave to go to the pros? Oh, I think I know why. When your head coach says to you over a beer, hey, I'm not coming back. And then calls his brother and says, hey, you got an opening at DC because I got the guy for you. So I just would like to point out that Jim Harbaugh will be the next coach of the Dolphins. It's not that I'm doubling down. It's not that I'm tripling down. I am guaranteeing you that Jim Harbaugh is the next coach of the Dolphins. 
I think I already have it as a wait to see. Does Stephen Ross really think that we're going to believe that he stood back and let Harbaugh make the decision to leave Michigan without ever contacting him to mention, by the way, if you do choose to leave Michigan, here's what we'll pay you to be the head coach of the Dolphins. Here's the control you'll have with the GM, Chris Greer. Here's the coverage you'll have. If you don't have a good first year, we'll just fire Greer. You don't think that conversation happened? Steve Ross thinks you're stupid. I don't. Now, the Giants made a head coaching move. They brought in Brian. How do you pronounce the name, Coca? Brian DeBow? DeBow? Brian DeBow? DeBow. Thank you. He wrote that. He didn't say it to me. He just wrote in the document. I don't, you can't see it because the camera's facing me, not the document. He wrote D-A-Y slash B-U-L-L. Thank you. That is how to guarantee that I get it right because I am the name butcherer. Brian Dayball, bull, I get it. Time out. Just say it as one word. Brian Dayball. Is that it? He is now the new head coach of the New York Giants. I actually thought Brian Flores would be in there, but then I did some reading. I did some research. I thought that the NFL would want Brian Flores to get a job again because A, he's good, and B, well, it's really Z. A, he's good. B, he's good. All the way through Y. But Z, he's also black. So right now, there have been four head coaches hired all white. Roger Goodell is very aware of this. Jim Harbaugh to the Dolphins will make five of nine. The the Dolphins, the NFL does not want to move backwards in this regard. But then I realized that Joe Shane, the GM, came from Buffalo, has a relationship with Brian Dable, and that that was a package deal from the beginning. And they pretended that they went through the interview process and they pretended that who knows who they were going to hire, et cetera. But it was very, very clear. So they hire this guy. And then Shine gave a quote, which I thought was very interesting. We interviewed several people who are incredible coaches and all of whom are going to enjoy much more success in this league in their current positions and as a head coach. With that said, we, me and ownership, all felt Brian is the right person to serve as our head coach. The problem I have at the beginning of that statement is when you go out of your way so hard to compliment the people you didn't hire, then why didn't you hire them? We had so many great candidates, all of whom are so phenomenal, and our team has sucked for so long, but we didn't go for any of them. We went for this guy, the other guy. All right, so why? You're going to have to get to that in your statement. And so he did. We all felt Brian is the right person to serve as our head coach. Phew. Why do you put that in a statement? Here's what I thought as a fan or as an executive. I thought that teams hired people who they didn't think was right to serve as the head coach or the manager. That's why I hired the person. I had a feeling that this person was wrong for the position. So we signed him to a three-year deal. Skip it. You're making the statement too long. But he continued. Over the last four years, I've observed firsthand Brian's strength as a leader. He is an excellent communicator, intelligent, innovative, and hardworking. Brian's genuine, engaging, his personality. He's refreshing. He fosters relationships with the players and coaches around him. He's progressive in his vision. He values collaboration. I am thrilled to partner with Brian. OMG. 
Let's go back and make sure you got them all. He's observed firsthand. By the way, this is CBS. I do have to answer. Hey, Port, I'm literally doing nothing personal live right now. You're on the show, but may I call you when we're done recording? Of course. Okay. Bye, Port. That is the person who gave me my start. Maybe he was going to give me my end. <laughs> is that possible, Coca? Should we stop taping and see what he wanted? I had to answer for him. Okay. So let's go back to this statement and the things that were described because Shine, Shane worked for Buffalo. He hired a coordinator for Buffalo to be his head coach. They were a package deal. And it was observed firsthand because that's what you can do when you're an assistant. You can observe his strength as a leader, his communication, his intelligence, his innovation, how hardworking he is. Okay. What are the words that you use when you hire a new coach or when you hire a new manager to make your fan base believe that you made the right hire? You have to say things like was said about Brian Dable, except it's the same things that everyone says whenever they hire a coach or a manager. I want one time a GM to say the following. The reason we hired this coach is I know very well how to work with him because I have worked with him. And he's the one who I know will have my back because we are friends off the field. And I was given the right to hire the coach when I was hired as GM because we came as a package when we interviewed. When I met with the owners of the Giants, I said, I will take your job, but only if this is my coach. Meanwhile, I've had conversations with this coach all throughout our tenure in Buffalo. We've always talked about the fact that we're going to get to be together running a team. We have hitched our wagons together and we have chosen the Giants as our next stop. Just be honest about it. Don't go into the fact that you interviewed all these people because all you're doing is trying to say you followed the Rooney rule. I would much rather people just say what happened. The minute I was hired, we knew who our coach was. We went through these interviews because we had to. And now as part of a statement, I have to say how good they were. And then I have to say how great Brian is. Even though I really could have just said, of course, he was going to be my coach. I find it all to be very strange. I'm going to give you a way to see. The way to see is this. When we say something's going to happen, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but we will revisit it every single time. I promise you that. I don't care who the GM is. I don't care who the coach is. All I know is the Giants as a team stink. You want to win more games, get a franchise-altering quarterback, not a coach who's genuine, innovative, hardworking, communicating, and I love him. I don't know what the over-under is for the Giants next year, but I'm setting it at 8.1 games, and I'm taking the under. The Giants will not win nine games next year. Another lost year for my team. But they've got a new coach and a GM. It's just business. This is nothing personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com